Good morning, Wellspring Covenant Church. Today I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of, a, of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a, a, a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn you and tear you into pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock on the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you do, then, though you are evil, know how to good give, good give, give good gifts to your children. Know much more that will your Father in heaven have good gifts for those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay. All right. We're back. Hi. Theo, that was wonderful. Thank you for reading for us today. Um, I feel, I feel um, so happy to see you here. And I'm a little embarrassed because I'm starting. My intro is starting um, <laughs> with a story that pertains to him, which means I owe him $10. <laughs> And he's in the room, and he's in, so he gets to call me on it later. Oh, great. Okay, so here we are today, friends. Last night, um, I don't know how your week was. I had a really full week, but last night was a really special night for our family because um, our eldest son went to prom. Wow! Okay, I'll give you $10. And, and when we were um, first hearing from his school about it, like what... Um, you know, how to sign up for it and where to pay for it and the different COVID rules related to it. Um, I remember being sort of surprised when I saw the theme for the prom. It was something like under the stars or written in the stars. I thought, gosh, why do prom themes have to be so cheesy? Like, I think mine was something like, you know, remember this night or night to remember. And I don't remember much about it, except that I probably didn't like the theme. I don't know. Something about it just makes me feel like it should be in a, in a comp comedic movie, like some coming of age movie. And you can kind of make fun of it. And so I was totally sort of judging it, like, oh, so cheesy. And then um, this past week, I get an email, you know, that the principal sends out an email to all the, all the parents. And I find out that they are bringing in astronomers from the University of Hawaii. They are renting high-powered telescopes for an evening under the stars. I was like, see, this is why you don't judge. <laughs> wow, why did I do that? What was the point of it? Like, what did I have to gain? I don't know, and yet the truth is, is I judge all the time in big and in little ways. And our text for today is really hard because Jesus is super clear on it. He's like, don't judge. Just don't judge. And when I read that, there's like a sort of like little pang I get inside because I know I judge. And I know that we probably all judge more or less, right? When you go to dinner with family you haven't seen in a while and you find out who they voted for in the last election 
Or maybe when you find out this person's cheering for that sports team you don't really like, or you look over your car and you realize someone's texting and driving next to you. Or maybe uh, we judge because of other reasons, right? People get judged all the time for so many reasons. Maybe they're too big or too small. Maybe they work too much or too little. Maybe they have too many tattoos or they're not styled well enough or the car they drive or what kind of neighborhood they live in. As a society, we tend to know that judging isn't all that great. There's a couple quotes about judging that I've heard throughout my life and I've, I found them and I want to share them with you today. And here's one. Never judge someone without knowing the whole story. You may think you understand, but you don't. Okay, I've heard things like that before. Or there's this one right here. Don't judge someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. Now wait, do you see the little thing underneath that? It says, tag someone who needs to stop judging. <laughs> Don't you love that? They're like, give them a shout out <laughs> publicly on social media. And then, then there's this one. Like, we, we seem to know in society that judging's not great. But we still, so we try to put rules around it, right? Like, don't judge unless. Then there's this one. Never judge someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. By that time, they'll be a mile away and barefoot. Yeah, that's my particular favorite. So we, we tend to know that judging is just not great. We tend to try to invite people to put some rules on it. Like, don't judge until you've heard the full story. Don't judge until, you know, you empathize. All these things. And yet Jesus' teaching has no qualifiers to it. Right? The way we act as a society towards judging is we leave the possibility still on the table. But Jesus does not leave the possibility for us to judge on the table. There's no unless, or but, or if. And in our passage for today, this is only one of two do not commands. Do not. There's two do nots in this passage. And in the Greek, it's really strong wording. It's in the, the, the imperative active voice. And the reason why this matters is because it's a really strong way of telling somebody something. Like the word imperative is actually related to the word emperor. So just think of like an emperor giving out commands. This imperative voice, Jesus does not use it very often. And still Less often does he use it to give a do not command. Sometimes Jesus uses it more in a positive way, like rejoice or ask, seek, knock. But here in our text today, we have not one but two imperative commands. Do not. Now, not only is this about judging, which we've already made clear that I have a hard time with. Uh, when I hear do nots in scripture, I have sort of a visceral response. And I found that oftentimes when we read scripture, we come across one of these do nots in the teaching of Jesus. I found that a lot of people tend to fall sort of in two camps. Either fall into the camp of like, yes, that's right. Do not do this. You either affirm it. It resonates with you. It, it's, it's simple. You get it. You're like, yes, I affirm this, especially for those people over there. <laughs> or it's a little more complicated. Think, ah, oh, how do I not do this? This feels hard. You see, when we come to scripture, we're not blank slates, right? When we read the words of Jesus, we come with our own history, with our own stories, our experience, our own wounds, our own suspicions. Some of us are afraid of getting hurt. Some of the do nots in scripture have been used as weapons to harm us rather than instruments of freedom. 
So I just invite you, as we look at these two do nots, very briefly, just to be aware of how it feels inside. And I want to offer this helpful framing as we look briefly at these two do nots, this helpful framing that helps us hold the do nots in a way that I think can lead us into more of God's mending life, more of God's good intention for us. You see, we're continuing along in our series on mending life. We're going through the teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount. And um, we're, we only have a couple weeks left. We're getting near the end of it. And we've just been seeing how God's good intent for us all along is to mend what ails us, mend what's wrong with us as well as around us. And so here in the context of these do nots, I'm going to jump to the end of our passage today. Normally we start at the beginning, right, when we talk about scripture, when I'm preaching. I'm going to have us go to the end because um, I think the end is oftentimes where the truth is revealed. I think it was TJ who talked all about that in one of his sermons. This idea that, you know, sometimes you watch movies and it's thriller and then it's the very last, the very last scene you get some new information that like changes everything. You're like, oh, that's what's going on. Like, I remember watching this one movie called The Sixth Sense when I was in college. I can't really say that. Sixth Sense. And um, there's this little character, this 10-year-old boy who delivers one line, and yet it changes everything about how you view the movie. So the end offered new key information that changed everything. I know sometimes my kids and I like to watch whodunit movies, like murder mysteries. And oftentimes you don't know who did it till the end. You're kind of waiting to get the why and the what. So today we're skipping to the end to hear Jesus's why and what. What is the what and why behind these do nots? Let's go ahead and look at verses 7 through 11. If you're following along in your notes or online, um, I have it up on the screen behind me too. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Here at the end, we see this picture of God as generous giver. Is God with the best intent, better than the the best parent imaginable? We have this picture of God as wanting to do everything in God's power to bring us freedom and mending and a deep goodness. The best imaginable intent for good. This is the picture we get of God. God is this hospitable, generous, gracious God. So out of this backdrop of God's graciousness comes these two do nots, which means that they must be. They're not a way of holding us back. They're not a way of of hurting us, but rather these are meant to free us and to bring us into God's holistic mending for us. So let's look, let's be really quick couple minutes at each do not. The very first one, as Theo so helpfully read, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Uh, even though I know it comes out of a backdrop of God's graciousness, I still don't like it because it feels so hard. It's like the cycle. You judge, you'll be judged. You judge, you'll be judged. And basically, when we judge others or ourselves, we're opting into the cycle of judgment and sentencing and judgment and sentencing. And this keeps us from experiencing the full breadth of God's good gifts. And when we judge, we're opting in into the sort of never-ending cycle. It's kind of like a boomerang in the air. You give it out, it comes right back to you. Right? And every judgment you and I make, it comes with some sort of sentence, right, that leads to this cycle. Whether it's to a family, a couple who's divorcing, or a person covered with arms working at the facilities at your workplace, a transgender youth. In judgment, we pronounce a sentence of some kind on another person, some kind of pronouncement we're making. We're too different to be friends. People like you end up on the wrong side of the law. Or it's okay for me to treat you this way because you believe this thing I think is terrible. And friends, Christians, we are known more for doing this than we are known for loving people. In a study of young adults done by the Barna Group, um, the young adults 16 through 29, and I know I'm older when I use the phrase young adults, <laughs> right? When you use the phrase young people, you're not one of them. <laughs> So I'm using a phrase, I'm young, but I'm not that young. Um, out, of the, out of this group of, of young people, 87% of them said Christianity was judgmental. These are non-Christians. Christianity is judgmental, 87%. And out of the young people surveyed who are active churchgoers, 52% said Christianity is judgmental. So they too had this experience of judgment, even from the inside. Friends, we've not taken Jesus seriously we are missing out on healing and freedom for us. We've sentenced the world God loves. This is not our job. That's what the accuser does. We're literally doing the enemy's work when we judge. We're often unaware that it says more about us than it does about them. As my mom told me when I was a kid, when you point a finger at someone, you're pointing three fingers back right at you. So judgment, it doesn't just have a price or a sentence we put on others, but there's also a sentence on us when we judge. We're sending sentencing ourselves to a world of judgment, a cycle of judgment back and forth. When we judge ourselves, we exile parts of ourselves, and we try to hide them away. And when we do that, there is no receiving healing. I remember when I came to the States um, as a young person, <laughs> as a young person, um, myself, when I went to college, I went to Bible school for a year in Texas, and I came from the Philippines where I had grown up. And I promptly had a, I promptly um, took on a, an eating disorder. I became anorexic for about mm, two years there. And it was something I didn't want to face. I didn't really know what to do with it. I was in denial about it. I knew it wasn't great. There was a part of me that knew there was something wrong, that had some kind of disease, like I needed healing, but I judged that part of myself and I exiled it far away where I could not receive healing. And it wasn't until someone saw me and said, I'm pretty sure you're anorexic. I was like, yeah. <laughs> They're like, can we, can we talk about this? They allowed me to bring that exiled part of myself back, to hold myself not with judgment, but to hold myself in a space where I could experience the graciousness of God. Hold myself in a space where I could mend, where I could begin asking for help. Friends, when we judge, we put a sentence on other people, and we receive a sentence ourselves. We keep ourselves cut off 
from God's good mending. And we don't have to do that. There is a way out. So this is the first do not, the very first do not. It can feel kind of heavy. There's a second do not, which has to do actually with something similar to judgment. Uh, it's like a cousin of it, but actually quite different in practice, and that's discernment. Before we look at the second do not, we actually have sandwiched right in the middle a conversation on self-awareness. And I love how Jesus sort of, uh, how actually Matthew is the one compiling all this together out of the teachings of Jesus. So I really love how it starts with this teaching on judgment don't judge. Then there's this sort of conversation about growing in self-awareness, and then there's a conversation about discernment. There's sort of a flow here to it. So let's look at this conversation on discernment really quickly. Uh, Sorry, self-awareness. This is in the middle. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? Can you imagine how funny this would have been to hear it for the first time? Some of you might have heard this before, but when Jesus was there speaking to that first audience, they must have been like, oh yeah, the speck in my brother's eye. What? The plank in my own. It's a sort of funny picture. It's a very vivid picture. Jesus continues, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Yes, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So friends, rather than casting judgment, Jesus invites us to move from the seat of judgment to move to being a witness. What am I seeing? Rather than looking at a situation or person and casting judgment on it, rather pausing and saying, what is it about me that's doing this? Instead of me doing a knee-jerk reaction and rolling my eyes at what I thought was a cheesy prom theme, I could say, hey, do I have like some weird wounds from a high school that are showing up here? Probably. <laughs> what does this say about me? How can I move from judgment to curiosity to see what's going around, to be a witness? There's this really great picture from Sky Jathani's book that we've been going through called What If Jesus Were Serious? And he actually does little sketches for each parts of these teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we have a couple for this week, and here's this one. I don't know if you can see it very well, but it's a mirror of truth. And on the mirror of truth, it says, warning, your issues are larger than they appear. <laughs> oh, I actually had to look for that one. It's kind of small font. <laughs> your issues are larger than they appear. So basically, when we come to the mirror of truth, sometimes it's easier to see other people's issues than it is to actually move from judgment to witnessing our own. I remember this one time I was traveling to the mainland for a conference, and I was in this really nice hotel room that had uh, just all these things in the bathroom to give away, like really nice toiletries, and it had like everything you could want. It was a really nice hotel. Um, And... uh, what I loved about it is when I walked in, everything was set for you. I didn't need to take anything from home. They even had a blow dryer. So those of you who blow dry your hair, you know, that's wonderful. One less thing in your luggage. And then they had this mirror, this mirror that lit up, and it was like the best possible light. It wasn't like harsh lighting, and it wasn't hot. It just gave you sort of a subtle glow. I thought, this is great. So I sat down to you know, get ready for my day, and I plugged it in, and I was horrified. I was like, whoa, what is that? Like, let me put that away because it was a magnifying mirror. (laughs) Oh, I was like, really? Do I look like that? And so I just sort of shoved it to the side and I was like, "Mm -mm -mm -mm. I'm not dealing with that today. (laughs) 
So I kind of did a little judgment there. I don't, I don't really want to do that. Um, but you know what? By the end of the trip, I kind of reconciled myself to it. I'm like, you know what? This is the best lighting in the room. I'm just going to deal with it. I will sit here. I will see uh, that maybe my issues are larger. <laughs> They're larger than they appear. So sometimes it can be a little disconcerting when we move from judgment to witness. Sometimes we can be a little thrown off, right, when we opt out of the cycle of judgment and we opt into a world of witnessing and noticing and being curious. Being curious. And yet this is how we grow in self-awareness. This is how we're able to grow in healing. Because if there's a plank in your eye, there's something seriously wrong. You're bumping people left and right. It's not healthy for you. You probably can't see well. You probably have some discharge coming from the wound. It's impacting your brain. It's catastrophic, actually. It's not a pretty picture. So it can be hard to move from the cycle of judgment, but it opens us up for healing. So that's the first, do not, do not judge. Then we have this teaching on self-awareness. Now here we go to the last, do not some of you might have been thinking when we first started uh, reading scripture, you know, I know Jesus says do not judge, but aren't there like different kinds of judging, right? I'm pretty sure there's some writing other, where, uh, um, other places in the New Testament where it says we're supposed to judge believers. And friends, this is where we have to practice discernment to interpret scripture with other scripture, to understand that maybe a word being used here is used slightly differently by a different author. So Paul talks about judging other Christians. Yet that word there, is being used very differently than how Jesus is using it. Jesus is saying, don't judge, don't condemn, don't sentence, don't opt into the cycle. And Paul is saying, practice wise discernment. And the next do not we have is all about discernment. Verse eight, over six, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. See, these are the do nots. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, on the surface, that's a real head-scratcher. We are not going to dig into pearls and pigs and dogs and all that. We're just not going to do that. And I just have to say, Pastor Dan once preached a wonderful sermon. His entire sermon was on that one text. So um, I will not be doing that today. But just know that whatever the, the dogs and the pigs and the pearls symbolize, which actually has to do with relating to the empire around you, whatever those symbolize, Jesus is teaching a principle here. And telling us to practice discernment, wise action, and appropriate boundary making. Hey, think about it. If your auntie left you a pearl necklace, would you go to like Ma'o Farms and Y&I and find like their, their, pig tr- their pigs and go to the pig trough and throw the pearls in? That would make no sense. That is not an appropriate action to do with auntie's pearls. Right? That's a poor boundary, too. Why are you giving that to the pigs? It's absurd. And yet sometimes our ways of being um, can be improved upon. (laughs) Sometimes we can ask for wisdom, for wise discernment, and appropriate boundary making. And discernment helps with this. And this week, um, when it became clear that Russia was going to attack Ukraine, I was witnessing a whole wide range of responses from people I know or am connected with. And a lot of people were mournful and sad, concerned, maybe even a little fearful. Some people were a little gleeful, maybe some friends of friends. I knew this would happen. Serves us right. This is what happens when you elect so-and-so, so-and-so. And then I saw the posts, the posts that cast judgment on Ukraine and sentenced them and said, you deserve this somehow. 
Friends, this is not wise discernment. That's judgment. Judgment is sneaky. It tries to masquerade as this good thing. But instead, it pronounces a sentence of pain or harm or distance. But discernment impacts you and how you respond to something. I saw a lot of people talking about the book of Revelation this week, and I know that book of Revelation tells us that empires will rise and fall. People convinced they are doing of the right thing will choose the cycle of judgment and sentencing. People will choose violent and authoritarian ways of being that judge their enemies so they can find comfort and security amidst the instability around them. But we, as followers of Jesus, are called to choose a better way. We are called to be people who have a healing presence, who have self-awareness, who remove the planks in our eyes, who step away from the cycle of judgment and sentencing, and instead are witnesses, not just to what is going on in us, but also witnesses to the God who steadfastly chooses mercy over judgment. Witnesses to the God who told his disciples to put away their swords. The God who sends prophets to the empires of their day so even they could have a chance to repent and be saved. And maybe you're listening, you're like, this is just all a lot. There's a lot of do nots. I understand they're for our good. That's still hard. How do I do that? And this is where there's some really good news because there's two do nots, but there are three do's, and I'm just going to list them. Here they are ask, seek, knock. These are the same active imperative words. Jesus says, do not, do not, do not judge, you know, don't, don't act in inappropriate and undiscerning ways. And instead, ask, seek, knock, which means if you're listening and you're like, how do I stop the cycle of judgment? <gasps> ask, ask God for help. If you're not sure, like, how can I choose other ways of being that are non-reactionary? I keep finding myself in this cycle. Seek out other people who can help you through. People who you see are people of love and not judgment. Knock. If there's places in you that seem like it's, you know, I don't understand, I can't access this part of myself, be curious. Knock on there. What's behind that door? What's behind that place in my life that I don't really want to go? Practice curiosity, and God will be with you. It was July, and tensions were running high as people were getting ready to go back to school. A Supreme Court ruling made 17 years earlier was finally being enforced in the city of Durham, North Carolina. And people were really frightened as to what this might mean for them, for their community, for their schools, for their future. The thing that was being enforced was desegregation. And even though schools had been legally desegregated back in the 50s, the city of Durham, North Carolina, had not desegregated their schools and was now being forcibly made to desegregate their schools in 1971. Tensions were running high. People were really upset. And an effort to kind of get people to listen to each other and hopefully get the situation to where there'd be no violence. The local city council organized a series of community meetings where people from all sectors of the community could gather together to discuss the situation and try to come up with some recommendations for the, church, for the um, school board. So they had all these people as representatives from the community and then they chose um, one woman and one man to co-chair the series of community meetings called a caret. I'd never heard of this before. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. I only have seen it online. <laughs> Should have Googled how to pronounce caret. It's a 10-day 
intensive meeting and troubleshooting process. And the woman that they asked to co-chair was Anne Atwater. She was a working single mom who had grown to be a respected voice in the community. She had come from a deeply impoverished background, and she had learned about housing laws. And she had fought to help people like her, born and living in poverty, have a chance to break through to a better life and hold corrupt landlords accountable. The man was C.P. Ellis. He was a dad from a very poor background. But there were some keen differences between them. He was white. She was black. She was fighting for basic respect and for these corrupt landlords to follow housing laws. He was a segregationist and a high-ranking leader in the Klan. Doesn't sound like a very promising correct, does it? Co-chaired by these two people. And understandably, neither of them wanted a co-chair together. CP wound up agreeing to work with Anne because he was just so concerned about the state of their schools. And Anne was a very pragmatic person, and she had this self-awareness to recognize a chance that, you know, she could handle it. She had been through harder things in life, and she really wanted her children to have a better future. So she decided to opt in. And after 10 days of intense negotiating, of listening, and, and talking together, they came up with this rather extensive list um, for meaningful change for their schools. So quite amazing list of proposed changes they made. It was all these changes to the curriculum, um, inviting students of different ethnic groups to come give input on the community in the curriculum, uh, setting up a group that would be able to kind of like mediate between people before um, frustrations escalated and there was violence, expanding textbooks to include African-American authors. C.P. Ellis and Anne Atwood did this in 10 days together. So pretty amazing work. But even more than this happened in 10 days. CP began to question everything he had believed about race and what was wrong in their city and who he had blamed and judged for causing all their problems. He realized he had judged an entire racial group of people and that he was part of the systemic problem, not the solution in their city. And as he and Anne listened to each other, he cried as he heard the difficulty of her story and the ongoing struggle she and her family and her community experienced. The last day of the Coret, over 100,000 representatives from their city were there, and C.P. Ellis tore up his Klan card publicly and renounced his former way of life. This is a true story. What's, most, what's really amazing about this story is that this man, it's not just that he stopped judging an entire group of people, that he wound up becoming more self-aware of what was wrong with him and the way he had been acting and the systems he was participating in. Right? That's a, a miracle in its own right, right? That's deeply meaningful. But I would say maybe the most wondrous part of this story is that when he let go of his judgments, he made space for something truly divine. And that is love. He made space for love. And Anne and C.P., they became the best of friends. I showed you their individual pictures, but this is the picture of them together, I think in the late 90s. They traveled the country together, they spoke together, shared meals for 30 years. CP died um, earlier, I think in 2005. And guess who gave his eulogy? It was his dear friend, Anne. There's even a play about their experiences. I think it's called The Best of Enemies. If you want to know about their friendship and about CP's transformation from segregationist to civil rights activist to friend. And friends, you and I, transformation is, is available for us too. 
If it feels like it's too hard away, we can ask, seek, and knock. We can open ourselves to God to help us stop the cycle of judging, to free us up, to heal us from the ways we are broken. And when we let go of judgment, friends, miracles can happen. We are freed. We're free to discern. We're free to be healed. We're free to practice good boundary making. We are free to respond appropriately to the world around us. We are free to receive God's full generosity. Verse 12 ends our passage and says this. Oh, I don't have verse 12 here, so we're going to have to read it. And I think I have it in my text right here. Verse 12, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. See, God gives good gifts. God pays the price of judgment in God's own body. Wants us to live lives mended of all that harms. This is what all of the law and the prophets, all the writings are about. God bringing us to this place of transformation so we can receive God's goodness for us and our world. I have three statements that might be helpful. You can take a screenshot of them um, as we just close now. And so if I was going to do a three-point message, I was hoping to do 1.1, but then it wound up being three anyway. Sorry, Stacy. <laughs> I was talking to SLC meeting. I was, it needs to be a short message. And I looked at the text. I'm like, there's so much in here. How can it be one point? Ah. So anyway, here's your non-three-point message, three points. <laughs> I saved them for the end. Here they are. And <laughs> then we'll pray. <laughs> I experienced God's graciousness to me when I... How about we read them together? Can you read it? Is it big enough? Okay, I'm going to move out of the way so you can see it. So I'll read the first part. I experienced God's graciousness to me when I, number one, let go of my judgments and let God do the sentencing. Number two, grow in self-awareness and practice wise discernment, letting this guide my boundary making. And number three, I experienced God's graciousness to me when I trust in God's goodness and loving intent for myself and others. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your loving intent. Thank you for your marvelous goodness. Thank you for inviting us to stop judging and let you do the sentencing. Thank you for paying the price of our reconciliation, even in your own body on the cross. Lord, as we come to you today, we invite you to come into every area of our life where we need your healing power. Come in where we are stuck in cycles that we don't feel like we can get out of. Help us to ask, seek, and knock. Come into our lives where we need greater self-awareness or where we need to practice wise discernment. Come into our lives where we need to let go so we can let in love. Thank you for the examples of so many who've gone before us, who've been courageous to let go of their judgments and see what happens. We invite you to transform us. We invite you to be the judge. In Jesus' name, amen.